Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast, sponsored as always by Giant T-Shirt and GiantT-Shirt.com. This is your weekly coast-to-coast podcast. I'm your host, John Siegley, and I'm joined as always by Sean Moran and Trell McMillan. Guys, we thought that this was going to be a fun podcast for about 37 and a half minutes last night. Unfortunately, it is going to be another rough one to get through, but hey, we're here to do our best. And, you know, I think that there was a lot to take away from that Duke game. End result, obviously disappointing, but let's just get kind of overall thoughts. Let's let's just rip this Band-Aid right off. Sean, going to start with you. As we sit here on Sunday afternoon, I mean, what are your thoughts on this Carolina team, their performance against Duke, all just kind of the general trends going through your head right now? Great question. I think watching the game kind of played out a little bit how we talked about on on the Wednesday podcast. And for, as you said, 37 minutes, they, I'd say, dominated um, a top five team in terms of just the actual basketball aspect. And there was still a lot of possessions that they left uh, where they could have done a lot better. So 37 minutes, and then I'd say about three minutes in overtime, where once again, they were clearly the better team. Um, and then unfortunately, you know, really the last really the last minute in regulation and then the last 30 seconds in, in overtime where it turned into a, a foul, you know, foul contest on one side and Duke scoring in six to seven seconds on the other side. And that was the difference, uh, you know, for, for UNC, we, we know they're not going to make the tournament unless, uh, unless they win the ACC tournament, but it, it was a, you know, a, a great atmosphere, they played about as well as they could have. Um, I mean, Keeling and Pierce had their best offensive games and there's a lot to take away, but when you see how the game ended in regulation and then how it, how it was lost, it's, uh, you know, pretty tough to deal with, especially coming against Duke and especially with how the season has gone. Jarrell, I'm just going to ask you this question, answer it as best you can, man. Is Carolina just cursed this season? Because I swear, I don't know what happened, but it just seems like, Every single member of the team, the coaching staff, had about 20 black cats cross their way. They broke five dozen mirrors. Yeah, is is there just a curse going on this year? Is that the only way to explain this terrible luck that UNC has had? No, I, I don't think it's a curse. I think it's just a, a bad team, you know, makes mistakes in key situations. And that's what makes them, you know, a bad team right now. Um, so I really think it's as simple as that. And we have pretty much a, a three-month body of um, evidence to work with that says that, you know, they struggle when it comes to winning time, <clears throat> that um, they've had every, so many opportunities in so many games dating back to Virginia Tech and, and uh, Clemson and Pittsburgh to just make one or two plays that would have given them a win, and they're just not able to do it. And at some point, you know, Armando Baycott kind of said it in the post game, like they're up 13. You should be in your mind like, man, we did it. We're, we're about to close this one out. And he was like, oh, no, I think we're going to lose this lead. And just that little bit of mindset, I think, is why um, kind of they are where they are. Obviously, injuries, you know, a, a, a brutal nun call at the end of the game, free throws. You know, there's a, a thousand things, maybe not a thousand. There's probably 50 things um, that if just it goes slightly different, they win the game. But in the end. You know, as much as people want to say it was luck or it was whatever it was, Duke made more plays than Carolina to win the game. 
And to me, that's really all it comes down to is that Duke's guys, Duke's guys never seemed like they had given up. You know, their body language was never bad. They felt like they were going to win, and Carolina was just trying to hold on and not lose. So where do the Tar Heels go from here, Sean? I mean, this was their most important game of the season so far. It might be one of the most important ones of the season, even as we get to the end of it. But, you know, there's still nine conference games left. There's the ACC tournament and then the potential of some post-game stuff. But, I mean, how does the team just pick themselves up off the floor yet again and get through the rest of this ACC schedule? Yeah, I think, you know, playing at Wake Forest on Tuesday, Wake Forest is not a, a good team by any stretch of the imagination. But, uh, you know, going on the road after a type of game like that will be difficult. I think we've said a few times, you know, how do they recover from from this game, whether it was Clemson or Virginia Tech? And they have always been able to do that once once they're on the floor. Um, I don't think they've they've really laid down at all, um, you know, over the last few weeks in terms of competing. And I think, you know, watching the the Duke game, there's a lot of positives to take away. Um, you know, some of the, I thought for Leakey, for instance, um, you know, if he was able to put up that stat line from an assist and rebound perspective, now probably not going to get nine assists every game, but if he's putting up a six and six or seven and six, like that's what you need from him. Um, you know, Cole Anthony, up until the end, I thought was playing very under control and not not forcing a lot of shots. I know he did at the end, but I thought he, you know, he kind of pushed the tempo, but slowed how he was playing down overall. And then you had the guys just working a lot better together, despite, you know, having Brandon Robinson out. Um, so I think, you know, there's a lot to take away going into the the final stretch. It's going to be challenging, but you know, if you can see, if you can continue to see improvement, more looking for for next year, that'll be good. Uh, you know, 1.03 points per possession was one of the best they've had all season. And once again, they dominated a top five team for 85, 90% of the game, uh, you know, and they've had three kind of epic collapses and you put those three as wins and they're not going to be challenging for the NCAA championship, but at least they're in the running. So, you know, I, I think Wake Forest will be a tough game, but you look at their their schedule and Louisville's, I mean, at Louisville's the only truly tough game I see. But once again, as Sheryl mentioned, you know, the team has its warts and, you know, not being able to shoot free throws and three pointers is going to make for long games and a long season. I think that the post-game what-if podcast is going to be a very interesting one this season just because of how many different ways the Tar Heels have just come so close but yet lost games. But let's get your thoughts on the rest of the season, Sherelle. I mean, you know, the games at Louisville, at Duke, those are the two toughest ones, nine games left overall. I mean, is there going to be anything left in the tank after these gutsy performances like we saw last night from these guys? Like Sean said, you know, every time we say, man, there's, they have nothing left, they come out and have a great performance. I, I still can't get over the Virginia Tech game because that was after <clears throat> the Clemson streak ended. Brandon Robinson, uh, we found out, you know, I, I guess it was a few hours before the game that he wasn't going to play, and you're thinking, man, this is over. And they played to that point one of the best games of the year, even though they came up short in double overtime. So I, I don't think you'll see um, those guys quit or lay down or – or not give great effort. But I just think, you know, at some point, all this stuff is in your head. And 
for as confident as some of the guys played, more confident than we've seen them probably all season, you have to wonder when their confidence is going to start dropping again because despite them, I think I, I said this to Sean and to Ben Sherman and to Rob Harrington in our Slack group, like they played a great game, but also played a terrible game simultaneously. And that's very difficult to do. And it kind of speaks to some of the inconsistency that they've had the entire season. So, I mean, there are still opportunities, you know, to, you know, they obviously played Duke well. You, you would expect Duke to play better next time, but I think Carolina can play better as well. So there's a, a they should know that they can play with a, a really good team. And if you're the coaching staff, I think that's what you say to them is that, look, guys, you know, you went to Florida State without Brandon Robinson and you were in that game until the, you know, the very end. Um, you played at home against Duke and you dominated them for 36 minutes and then you just kind of let it go. You guys can play with anyone. You just have to do it for 40 minutes. You haven't really done that probably since Oregon, maybe. Um, And so I I think that's what he keeps harping on to them or what he will keep harping on to them is that they're very close and that, you know, it just takes one win to maybe start something. You know, it's very, very, very unlikely that they'll even make the NCAA tournament. But, um, you know, they they still have a chance because there's games left. So I think that's what they play for. And then for, you know, guys like Cole, you know, he has a chance to – you know, kind of help his stock, not saying his stock is terrible, but help his stock improve from where, you know, back to where it was. And then guys like Garrison and Armando just have a chance to keep building chemistry in hopes that if both return next year, they can, you know, really um, be a dominating front line more so than this year too. So there are still things to play for, still players that can improve. Um, But as far as goals for the season, I think now you just kind of have to play spoiler. You want to beat your rivals again. You know, they have a chance to sweep state again and they have a chance to to win in Cameron. So um, having that in front of them is big. I think uh, one, one thing real quick that, you know, going back to literally the last kind of eight years, there've been several games where UNC has had a sizable lead and given it away and, and lost either on a last second shot or, or something at the end. And usually in those games, uh, my takeaway was, you know, UNC was a was the much better team in that game. And I, whether it's at Duke or at UNC, I fully expect UNC to come out and get a win um, in the next one. And this one is, is a little difficult just knowing, you know, they could easily win at Duke the last game of the season. But at the same time, the the ceiling for this team is is not that high. Um, so it's a little unfortunate that that same feeling and those those other uh, kind of Duke comebacks is is not there from an overall standpoint. Yeah, definitely agree with that. Guys, unless if you have anything else to add about the Duke game, I think we can go ahead and put this one behind us and move on to some recruiting talk. About ready to do that, or do you guys have anything, have any last second thoughts to add? I'll just add one one last thing. Um, you know, I think while Christian Keeling was the guy that that, you know, kind of got caught watching and Wendell Moore got behind him for the layup, you know, he played tremendous. Uh, I know he's been you know, really struggled to start the year and, uh, you know, easily could have pretty much, you know, just, just quit, um, you know, with, with the lack of playing time and lack of his, his shooting ability, but, you know, those mid range jump shots he hit and, and the three pointer. And I, I thought he played, played great. Um, so it was good to see him offensively play well. And, and Pierce had his minutes also, um, although he had a few, you know, one or two, maybe four shots that he would have liked to get back, but, the grad transfers have taken a lot of heat and it was nice to see them play well in a, uh, you know, a big time game. Yeah. I don't, I don't really have anything else uh, about that game. I would just say um, it was good to see the Smith center alive and 
um, the fans into it and really kind of a vintage Carolina performance. We talked about um, in the podcast last week how this didn't seem that different from typical Carolina Duke games in that, you know, we thought that Duke was going <clears> to <throat> have Vernon Carey, um, you know, give him as many shots as he can take, and then they were going to take threes off of him. Now, in the end, it kind of flipped because Wendell Moore had basically two offensive rebounds um, to, you know, to end the game. But I thought Carolina did what they do well, which is um, push tempo. That's the fastest I think they played all season. Um, they were very energetic on defense, and, and they got the ball inside. Uh, to Garrison quite a few times, and everyone contributed. It was one of those that, had they won, you would have said, oh, that was a team win because Christian Keeling did something well, and Andrew Playtech did something well, and Walker Miller, who you know hasn't really played at all this season, did something well, and Cole, and on and on and on, but um, they just couldn't hold on. So I, I think you see kind of this was the ceiling for this team. This, to me, even though they play bad, this was about as good as they can play, um, which shows you they're they're capable, but I think they just dug themselves too big of a hole over the last couple of months. Yeah, when you look at um, offensive ratings, which I know I love talking about Ken Palm, and I would have expected um, a decent amount of guys to have offensive ratings over 100, but when you look at it, it was only three guys on the team. You had Cole Anthony at 105, and then you had Keelan at Pierce at 123 and 130. Everybody else was sub 100, so you know, we talk about what a great offensive game, but between the free throws and the turnovers, uh, obviously could still see some improvement from elsewhere, but quick question for either Sherelle or John, um, you know, when Duke is really the last minute of the game, when Duke is just getting the ball off a miss or, um, out of bounds and Lily going the length of the court scoring in six, seven seconds, three, four possessions in a row, season play, uh, Sunday morning quarterback, but, what would you guys have tried to do differently to slow down, um, you know, Duke scoring and getting to the basket, knowing everybody was pretty much in foul trouble? I mean, that's the thing. I don't think there really is anything that that you can do. I mean, unfortunately, Carolina just does not have the depth this season. In years past, you know, there might be that extra guard that you can just put up there and have them go full court and just, you know, straight up just foul Jones if they need to, rather than to let him go by. But I think in this game, you just had to let that happen and, Trust that maybe your bigs can rotate over enough, but even then, Carolina doesn't really have that one shot-blocking true inside presence to deter guys just going to the rim uncontested. So, I just I really don't think there's anything that you could have done differently. What do you think, Sherelle? Yeah, you know, some people talked about playing zone for a couple of possessions, but Carolina and zones typically don't go well for extended periods. So, I don't think that was an option. I'm kind of where where John is in that you know they played. I, you know, he played good defense for most of the game, but um, I think you take your chances with Tyus Jones making seven straight left-handed layups, you know, versus leaving someone open for a three. You know, I, I think I would, I would take those odds. So, I, you know, I think it was the right play. It's just one of those things where everything just snowballed at the wrong time. And maybe if Cole has three fouls versus four, then the game doesn't end that way because he can be a little more aggressive, but you know, for Cole, there's nothing he can do. And I think Dewey said this on his post-game podcast, like, yeah, Roy Williams took Cole off of uh, Tyus Jones and put Christian Keeling on him and he fouled him. And I think Leaky was on him for a possession and he fouled him. So, you know, it's not like he didn't try anything different. It just, nothing seemed to work. It just was a perfect situation. It's ironic. You know, you, I wonder if you can make an argument and no one has, would have said this before the game that Brennan Carey fouling out actually hurt Carolina because Duke was not insistent from there on, on banging into the post. And they just went to that, that uh, five man out um, 
offense that Dewey was talking about and just drove straight at Carolina because they knew we were in foul trouble. So maybe, you know, it was kind of ironic that the player, North Carolina, you know, worked hard to get out of the game. Maybe they would have been better off with them in. I don't know. I'm, just, I'm speculating, but it's just interesting to think about. Yeah, that that style of offense has hurt Carolina in the past. I mean, there's just no real good counter to it if you have guys in foul trouble. There's unfortunately just not less if you just have incredibly agile big guys who can come over and help out if the you know point guard or guard gets beat on defense. So, I mean, I just thought this year it kind of is what it is. It's just unfortunate that every single thing broke against Carolina, but it has been that kind of season overall. So. I think we're ready to go ahead and move on, though. Let's take a very quick second to talk about our friends at Giant T-Shirt and GiantT-Shirt.com. They are your place to go for Carolina gear. If you need anything for the winter or the spring, Giant T-Shirt has you covered. They have their awesome location on Franklin Street, where they have been in business for decades. They have the absolute best customer service. And if you can't make it to Chapel Hill, you can always shop online at GiantT-Shirt.com, where you can find the same great selection, get that same great customer service as well. Don't forget, too, that if you are a subscriber to Inside Carolina, you get 10% off of your orders either there on Franklin Street or online at johntshirt.com. You can get that 10% off code from the Tar Pit Premium Message Board or the Basketball Premium Message Board. So that is johntshirt and johntshirt.com, your place to go for Carolina gear. And we'll go ahead and take a, another quick break to get in a word from the national sponsors. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. And we are back with the Coast to Coast podcast. John Siegley here with Sean Moran and Sherrod McMillan. Guys, moving over to the talk about recruiting. There were two five-star prospects in the Dean Dome last night. Harrison Ingram, class of 2021, and then Jaden Bradley, class of 2022. Bradley being the in-state prospect, Ingram from Texas. Both of these guys are players that I feel the coaching staff has really prioritized in their respective recruiting cycles. Sean, what can you tell us about these two guys, kind of where they're at in their respective recruitments, and just a general overview of Ingram and Bradley? Sure. I think both are are fairly early, but it was good to get Ingram into Chapel Hill, especially after he was uh, supposed to come to the BC game. And, you know, despite the outcome, I mean, I don't think he's going to get a better atmosphere for any game that that he goes to. And for him, he's, you know, comes from a very strong academic kid and uh, academic family. So that's what they're looking for. And and Stanford has been a school that has been on him early. Uh, but I think, you know, it won't, won't be a huge surprise to see a scholarship offer come out of this weekend. Uh, so we'll, I guess, should be on the lookout for that. And for him, you know, he's a talented, talented wing that can play a lot of positions. Um, and I think he's a guy that, at least right now, doesn't project to be a, a one and done. So I think he could could easily fit in and, and help UNC uh, play, you know, across several positions. And then you have Bradley, who's one of the top in-state sophomores. So especially when you're looking at, at keeping kids in North Carolina, in North Carolina, uh, you know, it was, once again, good to get him into the into the Dean Dome. I obviously would have liked to have him see a, uh, a UNC win, but I think, uh, you know, keeping tabs on one of the top guys in the state as well as a, a five-star sophomore is always good. And I think this recruitment has a while to go, but um, it's good to see UNC paying strong attention to him. Yeah, Bradley is the one that I did not know a whole lot before it was reported that he was going to be attending the game. Cheryl, have you watched a whole lot of Bradley? I mean, he is a five-star point guard, looks to be a pretty athletic kid, but what have you observed about him during the early parts of his high school basketball career? 
Uh, yeah, he's actually right down the road in, in Concord, um, not far from here. So he um, is very, his nickname is Silk. So that tells you, you know, he's very smooth. Um, but he's just advanced as far as ball handling is concerned. We watched him a couple of times at camps and then also um, with his AAU team and with his high school team. And uh, to me, that's, that's what I, I sticks out the most is that he just, his handle is so tight and so compact and he's very good on ball screens. He's very good um, with motion offense. And he just is a very calm initiator and facilitator of offense. I think you'd like to see that. And then he has tremendous size for um, a, a point guard as well. And then the athleticism now over the last, I'd say a few months is really starting to catch up with some of those skills. So you add all that together and, you know, he's 24 sevens, number one point guard in the country right now. Um, He's been he's taking visits pretty much to all the schools you would imagine. Um, Tennessee has an in. They, he plays for um, Be More Elite on the Under Armour circuit. And, of course, a lot of people know that Jaden Springer, um, also a Charlotte native who's down at IMG Academy in Florida, um, played for Be More as well and is signed to play at Tennessee. So there is, you know, there's some, some familiarity there. He's already been to Tennessee on a visit. Um, so they're definitely going to be involved. And then, you know, he lives in North Carolina, but I wouldn't consider him a, a native North Carolinian. Uh, a lot of his family is from New York. So I don't know if there is a pool to some of the schools up there. Um, but like Sean said, it, it's very, very early. And even, you know, with his class, we don't even know if they're going to be eligible for the NBA draft or not. You know, there's a chance that that class can go straight out of high school to the NBA. So it, that's something that he could he could consider um, and something that is really going to make 2022 recruiting um, a little bit more difficult until the NBA kind of makes their decision. Um, they collectively bargain and decide what they're going to do about that rule. So um, all in all, it, it, like Sean said, it was great to have Bradley on campus for such a big game. Full disclosure, he was the player we kind of alluded to, the the top five player who might come and visit for Boston College. He was kind of going back and forth and then um, decided not to. Um, one of the reasons that he thought about going was uh, Jairus Hamilton, who uh, plays for Boston College is was went to Cannon School as well. I don't think they were teammates, but they know each other pretty well. And then he kind of went back and forth about whether or not he was going to come to the Carolina game. Um, he was also thinking about going to Louisville as well, but ultimately decided to go um, to the UNC game. So, um, you know, a lot to come on him. I would imagine here in the next couple of weeks and, and months, and he's definitely someone that UNC has their eye on. Um, his teammate DJ Nix was here for the Boston College game, and then Steve Robinson has been down to to watch him a couple of times. So Carolina's definitely, um, he's definitely on their radar. And then with Ingram, yeah, I, I'd be surprised if they don't offer him fairly soon. Uh, we'll see coming out of this visit kind of where things stand. But um, all in all, you know, you can't ask for a better game or environment for recruits to have seen. Yeah, I know the focus right now is on 2021 recruiting and for very good reason. Obviously, that's the next kind of full cycle that's left here. But 2022, I think, is very interesting for that reason that you mentioned, Rel, that, you know, the prospect of guys being able to go back to the NBA straight out of high school is really going to be the great unknown for that year. I mean, looking at the Inside Carolina Recruiting Board, which I encourage everyone to look at if you are on the basketball premium message board. I mean, Carolina only has one offer right now for 2022, which I think is in line with how Roy usually handles these classes. But Sean, I mean, the fact that Bradley was at this game, I mean, do you think that he might be in line to be the next guy offered in that class of 2022? Or how do you think things may shake out with that one? 
I would imagine when they do offer, he, he would be the second one beside uh, behind Caleb Houston. I mean, I, I could easily be wrong, but I don't think it'll come uh, immediately. Um, you know, maybe maybe more during the AU circuit, but I think they, you know, Bradley's a guy they'll key on uh, once the spring evaluations start. And, you know, right now, really for the 20, um, uh, 2021 class, you know, you start to see over really the last month and a half, two months, offers have started to, to trickle out in that class. So I think 2021, they still have a, a lot of work to do. And right now, I think we're both in agreement that Ingram will be next on the list, uh, but still a lot of work to be done in 2021. And I think uh, Bradley will be the next 2022 player to receive a scholarship, but definitely not a uh, current focus right now. All right, good stuff there, Sean. Let's go ahead and wrap up the podcast. So talking about the Nike Hoop Summit, the announcements just came out for the selections for that one. So let's go ahead and get some talk about which UNC guys are going to be at the Hoop Summit. It is usually a very, very, very good selection of recruits and talent at that event. So Sherelle, let's start with you since Sean just got done talking. When you saw the Hoop Summit selections this year, I mean, what were your thoughts and who are some of the names that UNC fans need to focus on? Well, three of North Carolina signees are in the game. Um, so Caleb Love, Walker Kessler, and Daron Sharp all are there. Um, and, you know, I'm a bit cynical, so I was a little surprised. You know, for, for folks who don't know, um, it's called the Nike Hoop Summit. And so, <laughs> and, and so um, typically these things fall in line with um, shoe affiliation. So whoever you played with on the AU circuit, you know, that gives you a better chance. And just looking through it, there are, I think, more non-Nike players in this one than I've ever seen um, since this game has started. And, and I thought that was significant because I didn't think Walker Kessler, who played on the Adidas circuit, or Dayron Sharp, who also played on the Adidas circuit, really had a shot for North Carolina just because of that kind of political side of it. But in addition to them, um, Evan Mobley, also who played on the Adidas circuit, and Jalen Suggs, who played on the Under Armour circuit, made the team. So I think it's a little bit different than it's been in the past in that um, they, they've shaken it up and, and really are trying to go with a team that can win versus a team of you know just the top 12 players in the class or whatever. So it's a great opportunity for all three players um, just to get you know, instruction, um, competition, the, the scrimmages and the practices are intense. Um, Cole Anthony, I think last year was the MVP of the game. Um, and, you know, North Carolina will have a chance to have another one this year. So looking forward to that. Um, like I said, just a great opportunity for all three of those guys. Yeah, just to piggyback on that, we'd had a kind of a discussion before of who do we think is going to make it. And I was pretty pretty confident that both Love and Sharp would make it, even though they weren't Nike guys. They were both at the USA Basketball Developmental Camp in October and both played very well in that setting. And I think if you if you do that in October, uh, you really set yourself up for making that hoop summit. Now, Walker Kessler, uh, he was injured at that time. So he was invited, but didn't make it and isn't on the Nike circuit. So I would say he's probably... Uh, the biggest surprise uh, on the listing here. But I think, you know, when you look at the team, uh, they really only have three true bigs in Sharp, Kessler, and Mobley. So, you know, when they're when they're scrimmaging each other, they they need some added size. And, and just for a little more context on the Hoop Summit, on, on how it works, and it's been, I haven't been there in two years, but, you know, really the USA team, they, they get in around, I'd say, Wednesday, 
and they do two a day. So practice in the morning, practice at night. Um, and usually the practice at night, they're going to going up against guys that are in the Portland area or Pacific Northwest area. And that can be anywhere from talented high school juniors and seniors to uh, kind of some lower division one, Portland state, Portland type guys to, I remember Steve Blake showed up um, one year. So they're kind of going against, um, you know, other American players, but really the, the Thursday night scrimmage is kind of where, where it's at, because that's the one practice that NBA scouts are allowed into to watch the USA team. And really every NBA team has two or three executives at the hoop summit. A lot of them are there early just because a lot of the international guys are there starting Monday and they're allowed to watch pretty much every international practice. So this is the one time they get to see the the U.S. guys before the game. And it's a pretty, uh, you know, the, the seats are pretty tight. Uh, first come, first serve at the Portland Trailblazers practice center. And it usually gets pretty, pretty competitive, um, you know, with the team they're going against. So it, it gives these guys a chance to play in front of the NBA scouts and get dissected, um, you know, a little bit little bit earlier and then obviously friday is the game where they're going against the international team but i think it's a good opportunity for for all three of them especially with it being only only 12 players it's a little different than the mcdonald's all-american game where there's 24 so now it's you know 12 players and a very competitive setting are you going to be going this year sean um i i think it's doubtful but we should have some coverage uh michael weisenberg has done some done some stuff for inside carolina in the past and he's a uh frequent uh, frequent hoop summit goer, but if I can make it, I, I will, and will be great to report back. What about you, Rail? Are you getting convinced Ben to afford to fly out there first class so you can watch some basketball? No, I will be up late changing diapers for <laughs> the foreseeable future. So I am, I am out until uh, for a while. <laughs> nice. All right, you guys. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Appreciate both of you guys talking to me on this Sunday. Now that you have a great rest of your weekends. Thanks, John. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by T-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.